Man, I already miss Cesaro. I mean, it, it took me forever, but I, I finally figured out his character. It isn't just that he was this fantastic wrestler who was just an absolute workhorse on the WWE roster, a person who would go down as probably one of the greatest athletes to be in such a system. No, it's that he had an ongoing story going on for him that was clearly going to build to this year's WrestleMania. He starts out as the Swiss Superman. Then he becomes the Swiss Cyborg, which tells me that next we were going to get the Swiss Shazam, the Swiss Nightwing, the Swiss Aquaman, maybe even a Swiss Wonder Woman, all building to, and I want you to say it with me now, the Swiss Peacemaker versus Peacemaker at WrestleMania. I, I, I'm telling you, that, that that has always been the plan for Cesaro's character. That That is the plan for this week's fantasy booking, is we are going to make Cesaro the greatest Swiss DC superhero that he's always meant to be. I mean... <laughs> There's, there's no way he was meant to be anything else. I mean, this is why there's no intro this week. That's why this entire booking all about Cesaro is. Why is the music playing? No, we, we did not change plans here. I, I swear, this is, this has always been his gimmick. This has always been his. Ladies, gentlemen, and lady, gentlemen, my fictional friends, welcome to this new and exciting edition of the Wrestling With Fiction podcast, the podcast where I pitch to you wrestling storylines from the good to the bad to the damn right insane. My name is Connor, and yeah, uh, as you could tell by the intro, plans have indeed changed because apparently I wasn't able to write my freaking DC Cesaro story. So instead, we're just going to do some bog standard booking on the Swiss Superman who, at the time of this recording, has only just recently had his contract expire from the WWE. Cesaro, or probably more colloquially known on the independent circuit as Claudio Castanoli, is now a free agent and you know I felt like I was in a very reflective mood you know Cesaro was in WWE for over 10 years it was back when I was watching the product weekly and he was plugged as this rugby player with excessive aggression <laughs> remember that when he first came in as Cesaro and he was advertised as this rugby player with excessive aggression. I believe, like, Oksana was her man- was his manager. And he went into this feud with Santino, which we'll, we'll talk about what Cesaro does throughout his 10 years in WWE later. But it was a very odd journey, because he's- I feel like us as an audience wanted Cesaro to do more, mostly because he's probably one of the best all-around wrestlers in the company at the time. A guy who could consistently do anything in ring. You hear it from people backstage, you saw it as like a fan watching him. The man could do it all. Strength, speed, size. But 
he's just never quite, for some reason, and I know some people are going to say, oh, because Vince McMahon writing, creative, and stuff like that. I know that's certainly a factor, but I'm sure there's other things also at play. That kind of kept Cesaro in a relatively familiar position throughout his sort of decade in the company. And it always got me thinking, why was Cesaro never seen or portrayed or even booked as a marquee player? And I think that's kind of a good indication of what we're going to try and do here. Because I'm going to be straight with you. I don't necessarily think Cesaro needed to be a world champion to be recognized in a position that people acknowledged. Look at people like Roddy Roddy Piper, for example, a main event caliber superstar who never won the world title. I think the thing that people were craving with Cesaro was that he was featured more as a marquee talent, not necessarily the main eventer carrying the company. And that's something I really want to explore with this week's episode of Cesaro, is as we dive into Cesaro's history and we attempt to rebook a period, I want you to really think about where on earth Cesaro could have been that big featured talent. Because I know where I think this all could have started, but as with anything in wrestling, it's entirely subjective. I'll give you my viewpoint. It's not right. It may not even be wrong, but hey, it's my own perspective, and you can agree or disagree. That That's the beauty of art, that's the beauty of life, and that's the beauty of wrestling. And with that out of the way, and with that little jamble presented, uh, I believe it's time that we kind of get into this. So, ladies and gentlemen, and lady gentlemen, I guess, people in the room, people not in the room, people just casually listening. I don't know what you're doing. Let's talk about Cesaro's time in WWE in about four minutes. Yeah, let's summarize a 10-year career in four minutes. Why do I do this? Okay, so let's talk about Cesaro's very storied career in WWE. So, debuting in WWE on the 20th of April 2012 edition of SmackDown, Cesaro would debut accompanied by Oksana to eventually get himself a contract by defeating Tyson Kidd in a tryout match. This wouldn't last very long with Cesaro having an undefeated streak because very quickly after this he would lose at the Great American Bash in a mixed tag match to the Great Kali and Layla. Let that sink in. But not all is bad for the world of Cesaro at this point because he'd eventually capture the WWE's United States Championship at SummerSlam by defeating Santino Morella. He would have various notable defenses against the likes of The Great Carly, The Miz, Kofi Kingston, and various others until eventually he would drop the title in a 239-day reign to Kofi Kingston. Now, during this period, Cesaro was making on and off appearances down in NXT, having classic matches against the likes of Adrian Neville and Sami Zayn, where eventually, during those various other appearances and chances at the NXT Championship, he would eventually find himself in an alliance with Zeb Coulter and Jack Swagger, forming the tag team The Real Americans. 
They would have various tag team title shots for the WWE tag team titles to varying degrees of success, but never being able to capture the gold. This would all culminate in Cesaro building a cult-like babyface following where eventually he would win the inaugural Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal and get a very special surprise at the end of it because on the night after WrestleMania, entering with his WWE theme Patriot, he would be congratulated by Name Redacted where he would announce that he has a brand new manager, Paul Heyman. Holy S word, it's Paul effing Heyman. But as we know by this point, not all is sunshine and rainbows for Mr. Cesaro, as even with this, he's never quite able to carry and hold up the Vince Bitman's duly quoted on his Steve Austin podcast, The Brass Ring. This would eventually involve him teaming with another NXT alumni who went back down to NXT in Tyson Kidd, where they would eventually capture the tag team titles, nearly forgot that, pre-brand split where they would eventually hold the titles up until Extreme Rules, where in 2015, you know what happened, it was the birth of the New Day. And with such and such and Tyson Kidd's eventual injury, Cesaro would eventually find himself in singles action once again, challenging for the United States title, being appearing in the Money in the Bank lander match for the vacant WWE Heavyweight title, Cesaro would find himself in a lot of prominent singles matches, where whilst he was unsuccessful, he was earning the respect of the fans. This all leading to a title tournament for the vacant WWE title, where he would eventually find himself in the quarterfinals against Roman Reigns, where Cesaro would lose and be injured once again. He would eventually return post-WrestleMania and find himself in a unlikely feud with Sheamus, forming the tag team The Bar, and having very successful runs, once again defeating The New Day and becoming tag team champions. There'd be a frequent staple of WWE's tag team division until their eventual split, and Cesaro finding his feet in the singles division once again. During this, Cesaro would have a couple more odd couple tag team runs with Shinsuke Nakamura, have a notable singles match with Roman Reigns for the Universal title, and a notable singles match against Seth Rollins. But post that, Cesaro struggled to gain victories week after week after week, until eventually we find ourselves where we are today, and Cesaro has refused to re-sign a deal with WWE and has left the company. I kind of butchered the last part because I realized I really went back into the first half of Cesaro's career. But yeah, I think that's a basic summary of Cesaro. A guy who, ironically enough, was more of a tag team specialist than a singles guy throughout his run, but was a guy who we always saw as a prominent single star, putting over guys like Alistair Black, who I forgot to mention throughout this, in that very cool set of singles matches they had, which was really awesome. Uh, other stuff with John Cena, noticeably the US Challenge. His work with Seth Rollins as well, kind of slept on the WrestleMania singles match of WrestleMania last year. I gotta stop saying WrestleMania, that sounds a bit like a tongue twister. <laughs> and really... There were glimmers, and I feel like that's the thing that really, I think for me, and maybe for other people, I could be wrong, but there were glimmers of Cesaro being a prominent single superstar. And it felt like he was kind of being pigeonholed a bit. I don't necessarily, like I said before, view him as a world... Actually, no, I, 
I do view him as a world champion, but I don't think he'd need to win a world title to be perceived as a world champion, if that makes any sense. Just because of, you know, the technical acumen of him, the presence he has in the ring. Say what you want about his promo skills, but I don't think promos matter for every person. I think Cesaro in particular, he has this charisma that isn't necessarily defined by Mike's skills, but more of his presence and the way he carries himself in the ring. He certainly got better with character work with the likes of like working with Sheamus in the bar. I feel like that's the most personality we got out of Cesaro. And the most kind of organic he felt as a heel and even as a babyface for periods. You know, with the odd couple tag team. And yeah, I I feel like there was some untapped potential. And we'll get into a specific spot where I think it would be perfect for him. But before we get to that, I think it's time that we get to our little segment I like to call the tagline. And for those of you who are unaware what on earth the tagline is in this random podcast with a giraffe. The tagline is basically my summary for what I plan to do with said wrestler, wrestlers, or sometimes even fictional characters of the week. Think of it like a summary you'd see on Netflix, Crunchyroll, Hulu, Disney+, Plus, whatever streaming service that you like to use. And... It's pretty much a good foreshadowing indication of how this booking may or may not go. Because sometimes it gets you to ask the questions like, will Cesaro be a world champion? Will he get a shot at the big time in WWE? Will he grab the metaphorical Sonic ring that professional wrestling seemed to coin him to eventually grab? I don't know. You don't know. But we'll find out together. As fictional friends, please give me your energy as I try and explain how on earth this is going to fucking work. Okay, so I've been waiting for this segment to give my plights for why this booking's been so freaking hard. Okay, so... Some of you might be wondering, why, why are we discussing, you know, possible ideas for where you could potentially rebook Cesaro? And I think a lot of you, myself included when I was first writing this, was assuming, oh, you just rebook Cesaro from the Memorial Battle Royal where he wins and he gets aligned with Paul Heyman. World title push, he wins the bell. I, I, that doesn't really make sense to me because... You know, if it wasn't for that whole situation with Paul Heyman and Cesaro finding himself with Tyson Kidd, there's, I don't know if the New Day would have been able to successfully turn heel in an effective way because it's the dynamic of those two teams double turning that eventually spirals into the New Day. So you couldn't really book it there in my mind, uh, not realistically. And of course, you know, some people might be saying, oh, what about later when he's just a singles guy and he has the whole thing with the US Open Challenge, the one-off series with Kevin Owens, the extra matches he has where he faces Roman Reigns and then he gets injured and then he returns and he gets a match with AJ and uh, who else in the match? Jericho, uh, somebody else, all for the number one contention for Roman Reigns. Yeah, uh, one issue with that. 
he then forms the bar a couple months after. So unless you want a really short run where Cesaro loses the belt and then forms the team with Cesaro, which by the way, helps the New Day again by breaking a historic record that realistically nobody else in the roster could beat. There's, ah, it, it's hard to not insert Cesaro out of these key moments. So for me, the point at which Cesaro could get a prominent singles run is ironically much later. And we'll get into where it is specifically, but it was really hard to think of ways for him. And it, it surprised me because we've always thought of him as such a singles guy, but because of the amount of tag team feuds and prominent tag team feuds, I might add, it's very hard to remove him from the equation and put him in these prominent singles positions without messing up the whole WWE timeline. Because I like to book with a little bit, at least a degree of realism to where you could slot him in. And so for me, the tagline for this week is much later and it states, a Swiss superhuman fights from underneath to prove to his fans and his sleep-deprived manager that he is worthy of carrying that brass ring. A struggle filled with technical savants, past demons, and those deeming him unworthy of his success. And that is my tagline for this week, and it's a very long, maybe convoluted tagline with a lot of ambiguous natures to it. Mostly because Cesaro has quite an ambiguous career as a singles guy. You know, as much as I like to think Cesaro is this amazing technical wrestler in the singles division, him being so tied to tag team wrestling is really interesting. And it got me thinking, now that I think about it, Cesaro's never really had a prominent singles run. A prominent run where he's been on his own for a lengthy period of time, barring the early parts of his career. And so, consider this booking a test, a idea of sorts to see what Cesaro could do on his own. No bar, no kid, no Paul Heyman, just the Swiss Superman the Swiss superhero, even. All on his own. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you've got this far into the podcast, please implore me as I attempt to fantasy book the Swiss Superman himself, Cesaro. So, I don't know if this is going to be a super lengthy booking or not, but the, the summary of this booking that I think is kind of clear from people who are fans of Cesaro is just to let him wrestle. <laughs> it's really not that complicated. Just let the man wrestle. Let him throw a couple swings around. Let him be awesome. Very clear, simple goal. So with that in mind, our story does not begin in 2014, where he wins the Memorial Battle Royal. It doesn't begin... In 2015, with Kid, it doesn't begin with the bar, and we don't set the bar, we are the bar. 
by the way, underrated catchphrase, should have been on a t-shirt. Our story actually begins, can't believe I'm saying this, in 2020. It is the pay-per-view that I'm sure we're all familiar with. It's the Elimination Chamber. At the time, Braun Strowman was the Intercontinental Champion. Yes, Braun Strowman was the Intercontinental Champion. And at the time, we had this very weird team-up between Nakamura, Cesaro, and Sami Zayn. Sa Cesaro just coming off the huge thing with Alistair Black, putting him over huge, and Alistair Black returning in kind with various promos about knocking on doors, and, you know, to be fair, getting a cool match with AJ Styles. That was awesome. But throughout it, there wasn't really much going on for Cesaro. He was kind of appearing as... Second fiddle to Cesaro's other friends, Sami Zayn and Nakamura. And, you know, this all culminated, as it did in real life, to the Elimination Chamber handicap match for the Intercontinental title. One in which we're, we're going to deviate from it just just a bit, okay? Just, just, just a bit. And rather than have... Sami Zayn barking orders at Nakamura and Cesaro to beat up Braun. Which, as much as I love that whole moment, Sami gets much better runs down the line. This is where we get to reignite the Swiss Superman himself. I'm talking power spot after power spot, refusing to tag in Nakamura and Sami Zayn. So much so they start to break up certain pins with Cesaro. He starts hitting uppercuts to Braun Strowman, really fighting him back. We even get a special swing spot that is cut off by Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn is shouting at him saying that I'm meant to be Intercontinental Champion. We're meant to be Intercontinental Champion. And with this, Braun ends up through the distraction, hitting Sami Zayn out of the ring, Nakamura likewise, allowing just enough of a distraction for Cesaro to hit a monstrous neutralizer to pick up the one, two, three. Cesaro is what, in my opinion, he should have always been, the Intercontinental Champion. The workhorse title, the title that it's pretty much the belt form of Cesaro, the thing where you're the workhorse, you fight off all these other things. Cesaro, workhorse champion, workhorse belt. And so the next week on SmackDown, we get Sami Zayn dubbing, despite Cesaro holding up the title proudly, the crowd cheering for Cesaro, saying that they are co-champions because this was a handicap match. And they won, so they're the co-champions, even though in the record books it says Cesaro. And because of this, Sami Zayn continued to say that, in his own words, they both won the titles together from that monster. And at every opportunity, Cesaro is getting these showcase singles matches on the road to WrestleMania. We start to see him in marquee matches against the likes of, you know... Montez Ford in the very, like, athletic show of sportsmanship. A a match against, you know, some very prominent names, like a, a Kofi Kingston. Um, some of you might be noticing at this point, why are they all tag team competitors? Well, it's because through all of these singles wins and 
Sami Zayn at each step of the way, sitting at ringside, clutching the Intercontinental title and always, and I mean always for each of these weeks, reluctantly, and I mean reluctantly, giving the belt to Cesaro. This all culminates in a very special tag team title match. It's Cesaro and Sami Zayn taking on the tag team champions at the time, The Miz and John Morrison. Cesaro starts to get over some high-flying offense, getting, if you guys remember, the very awesome hot tag spot with Cesaro where he just goes crazy. Yeah, let's do that, but with two people and inadvertently through it, hit Nakamura in the process. So, yeah, just to kind of showcase Cesaro being awesome. This all happens where Cesaro nearly picks up the win. But through some shenanigans and distractions, the referee is knocked out. The referee is knocked out. Cesaro is once again prepping for the neutralizer to hit on John Morrison. Where Sami Zayn is trying to grab the icy towel and says he's going to hit him over the head with it. And Cesaro, he refuses. He says no. And he says he's going to do it his own way. And it's at this point, the referee is knocked out. The Miz is somewhere knocked out ringside. And John Morrison is lying near helpless in the ring. The Cesaro is hit at the back of the head with the Intercontinental title by Sami Zayn. Throwing it out of the ring. Allowing John Morrison to help retain his title along with The Miz. As we see the referee regain consciousness for the one, two, three. Miz and Morrison retain we're still being tag team champions at the time. And Sami Zayn orders Nakamura to come in. He asks him to expose the turnbuckle where he lies Cesaro in the post. And Sami Zayn delivers a halluva kick to Cesaro in the exposed turnbuckle as he holds up the Intercontinental title. Setting himself up for a IC title match at WrestleMania. The next week... Sami Zayn lays out his soul to Cesaro. He says that he carried Cesaro. He carried Cesaro because he's always been a little too weak to carry that brass ring that everybody talks about. Kid, Sheamus, the man at every turn has had to rely on someone to get things done. And the injustice delivered to me is not an exception. Sami Zayn holds up the icy title that he's stolen from Cesaro from the previous week, saying, I am your true intercontinental champion, and I promise to be a fighting champion when the time comes. As a true face of this company and a workhorse of this division, I promise to hold this title for decades as the true and only workhorse intercontinental champion in modern WWE. This brings out Cesaro who immediately clashes with Nakamura, beating up all in the lead up to WrestleMania. Cesaro and Sami Zayn have a very much back and forth affair, once again reminding us of their classic matches at NXT TakeOver and Arrival, if some of you are aware of those matches, like their 2 out of 3 falls classic, where throughout it, Cesaro attempts to beat Sami Zayn with pure wrestling acumen, where he is continually distracted by Nakamura, and through work and shove and just pure grit, Cesaro eventually counters a halluva kick into a series of suplexes and eventually 
an uppercut and neutralizer for the one, two, three. Cesaro is your new, well, not new, retaining Intercontinental Champion, solidifying himself as a workhorse champion as Sami Zayn, just like he does in real life, ends up taking a extended hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And with that, we end our very simple Act 1. So, by this point in the story, we've already established a couple clear things. Cesaro has been presented as a guy who, as a singles competitor, hasn't had a lot of time to shine, but he's always been frequently a tag team wrestler. So, on the night after WrestleMania, Cesaro bears his soul to the people of SmackDown. He basically, in a very short but sweet fashion, remember, expose his strengths, hide his weaknesses, basically says that he didn't feel like, despite how badly he wanted to be presented as the guy who grabbed the brass ring, some of the stuff that Sami Zayn said was right. He, he didn't have the confidence in himself to be on his own. He didn't have the confidence to be the guy that everybody believed he could be, the Cesaro section. But now he does. He says to the people at home in the very empty arenas at the time during the pandemic that he is ready to carry that brass ring all the way to the end of this pandemic. Zaro pleads and says that he, in this time of need and time of desperation, is willing to give everyone an opportunity to grab the brass ring that he spent years trying to get himself. And thus we begin the Cesaro Intercontinental Open Challenge, because right at the end of it he simply says that from this point forward, there isn't a brass ring. There is only a bar. And Cesaro doesn't set the bar. He is the bar. And so Cesaro starts his Intercontinental Open Challenge, a bit like the Cena one, but with a couple noticeable differences. We have a much more pure wrestling focused aspect. and. This is going to basically be WWE's equivalent of the Ring of Honor Pure title. And for those of you who are unaware of what that title is, it is basically Ring of Honor's... I wouldn't call it a mid-card championship, but it's basically their pure rules stipulation. So with the handshakes, code of honor, limit of free rope breaks, exposed punches are illegal. And it's all just pure wrestling. So Cesaro welcomes anybody and anyone to accept his open challenge. And the first person to accept it is none other than Matt Riddle. The guy who eventually debuts on SmackDown several weeks later when the tournament ends for the IC title. Where some of you may recall a certain phenomenal one was successful in winning the championship. This is the quintessential Matt-based wrestling that you would expect from the pair. Cesaro using his power spots to get out of potential submission opportunities for Matt Riddle, both of them getting into striking exchanges, uppercuts, and knee strikes that would lead anybody lower on the card left unconscious. They go back and forth, almost strong style-esque, until Matt Riddle goes for a submission and armbar of sorts, in which Cesaro counters it into a powerbomb 
and leading himself into a neutralizer for the one, two, three. Matt Riddle loses, but looks great in defeat. And for this section, we're just going to be running down some of the series of challenges because let's face it, this would just be really fun, wouldn't it? The next one that we have on this list is, of course, John Morrison, the now former WWE SmackDown Tag Team Champion when they lose the belts to The New Day and attempt to regain the Intercontinental title that he held so prominently before. It's Cesaro's first true test against a former Intercontinental and otherwise considered workhorse champion in John Morrison. We get very much the same kind of high-flying shenanigans with a little bit of interference from The Miz here and there. We get several promos in the build-up to the match where John Morrison claims that Cesaro hasn't been tested yet and he is not ready to face the Shaman of... I'm not going to say the rest of it. <laughs> and that he is still and will forever be the Friday Night Delight. Cesaro doesn't really need to say much because it's Cesaro. <laughs> he doesn't need to. He gets in. He beats the living S-word out of John Morrison, countering his, like, springboard... I'm trying to... I keep on thinking of it as the disaster kick from Cody Rhodes, but it's not that. Into uppercuts, eventually leading to a certain Cesaro victory. Other noticeable wrestlers who could be interesting for this? Dolph Ziggler. That sounds like a joke, but I'm serious. <laughs> we get build-up of various other video packages with Dolph Ziggler exclaiming that he was a former uh, graduate of Kent State University as part of the wrestling team. And with the stipulations that Cesaro has in his open challenge can really showcase that wrestling ability. Often in various other showcase matches between the two, taking down Cesaro on multiple occasions in the build-up to the title match. Cesaro, though, still remaining and looking strong. Looking like a valiant champion taking on all different styles. And with it, we also have the history of Ziggler beating Cesaro for the Intercontinental Championship before them having a two out of three falls match where Ziggler turned out the victor in a very underrated IC title run. All culminating to this very moment where Dolph Ziggler sells uppercuts like a boss, goes for a zigzag and a super kick, only to be caught with the neutralizer for another victory. And with it, we've immediately started to see people acclimate to this new rule. We have more guys like Drew Gulak, Montez Ford enter the mix as potential experimentations for WWE's mid-card down the line as they challenge now a rising superstar in Cesaro. But with that, we have a couple more notable programs that I have for this kind of IC title reign. And it's AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan. Now... Daniel Bryan, kind of if you remember the build-up to WrestleMania the previous year, pretty much plays out this exact story, but a couple months before. Basically just wanting to show that Cesaro is just a really good wrestler, and Bryan trying to show that he's still just as good as he was when he left. That kind of story, but for the Intercontinental title, because remember, Cesaro and, like Daniel Bryan, wanted to work with younger guys and elevate them. This is the perfect opportunity. We get a lot of focus on technical map-based wrestling, particularly between the pair. I like to think Cesaro really trying to go for, you know, the ankle, the leg, maybe even the arm. Kind of being reluctant towards attacking the head of Daniel Bryan because he respects him in a kind of pure wrestling sense. But Bryan kind of goads him into it, trying to force him to bring out the more vicious side of Cesaro, saying like, 
Is this the man who's meant to grab the brass ring? Come on, hit me. Hit me harder in the, you know, classic, like, strong style match. If you guys remember Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki, that kind of vibe. All culminating in a certain Cesaro winning and hitting a wicked swing, by the way. I think that'd be awesome. And retaining the title. And with it, we also have stuff with AJ Styles, the person trying to become a full triple crown winner of WWE's marquee titles. I think that would just be a very fun match, to be honest. And, you know, a great chance to see if Cesaro and AJ Styles work together because I don't really recall them wrestling much in WWE. And that's kind of a shame. <laughs> like, is it just me? And yeah, Cesaro retains against AJ Styles. All leading to... By the time we get to Clash of Champions, the return of Sami Zayn with his own replica intercontinental title. Also in the background, we also have our Universal Champion Roman Reigns returning and becoming the tribal chief now at this point in a feud with Jey Uso, pretty much like in real life. We also have some of the tag team stuff with Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins kind of happening with the Dirty Dogs. Once again, a weird tag team name, but we vibe with the Dirty Dogs. And by this point, yes, Cesaro will be defending his IC title against Sami Zayn. Once again, two bitter rivals. Unlike the whole Kevin Owens thing where he's kind of in his whole other thing, destined to do this forever. Sami Zayn says that like the heel of the years that... He took away his Intercontinental Championship and that the WWE, like he does in real life, has been conspiring against him. Now, all of a sudden, wanting to support this Swiss Superman because all of a sudden he wins a singles title. They never gave him an opportunity at the singles title because they didn't believe that Sami Zayn could do it. But he could always do it because he believes in Sami Zayn. Nobody else believes in Sami Zayn. Cesaro never believed in Sami Zayn. And they prefer him over me? That's ridiculous. Why would they do this? What is with all these zebra men telling me what I, uh, I can't do? Sami Zayn goes on, on, and on, and on, and on. And on. <laughs> All in the hope and come up to Cesaro having a match where Sami Zayn tries to do everything in his power. He uses the closed fist on Cesaro, who by this point has been challenging for the title week after week after week against notable people on the SmackDown roster. Cesaro is battered, beaten. Not bloody, though we may get to that later. But Cesaro is all banged up. The fighting champion that he is. And as it looks like Sami Zayn is going to beat him with cheating tactics. Having him almost be counted out. Cheated by disqualification. Cesaro manages to fight through the pain. Beating Sami Zayn in his own game. Hitting Sami Zayn with a neutralizer and an uppercut. To retain the Intercontinental title. All in a closing segment where... After Roman Reigns absolutely humiliates Jey Uso, we get a very simple closing segment. Roman Reigns holds up the Universal title, the ceremonial stuff after he's been declared the Tribal Chief. And who walks out to confront him? The Intercontinental Champion Cesaro, looking back at his former advocate Paul Heyman and staring down the Tribal Chief holding up the title that he's been attempting to raise the prestige of for several months. 
throughout the pandemic. Can Cesaro finally grab the brass ring that he's ever so been tested and teased with? Or will Cesaro fall to this newly inducted and more devastating and dastardous Roman Reigns? As we head into Act 3. So with this, we have finally reached Act 3. The night after Clash's Champions with the intimidating stare down between Cesaro and Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman cuts a promo without Roman Reigns at ringside. And he simply says that while Cesaro being a challenger is indeed worthy of the Tribal Chief, he must address the situations here. Cesaro may be a once-in-a-generation talent. He may have come leaps and bounds further than he would have ever expected several years ago. Cesaro is only once-in-a-generation talent. Roman Reigns is once-in-a-lifetime. He is inevitable. He addresses his counsel with ruthless aggression, reigns over the WWE Universe with attitude, and presents WWE with a simple reality. Roman Reigns, whether you like it or not, Cesaro is inevitable, and if you choose to conquer and face the head of the table, you will find that the Tribal Chiefs will do what he will do in any situation, whether it's with family, whether it's with you, he will clutch onto the Universal Championship for his family and for his bloodline. This, of course, brings out Cesaro, who doesn't really say anything. Keep in mind, Cesaro doesn't really need to say much. All he says to Paul Heyman is that he forgives him. Because him splitting up with Paul Heyman was the best thing that ever happened to him. Cesaro goes on to say that if it wasn't for him, he wouldn't have found himself as a singles competitor. He would have been what people like Sami Zayn, people like the chairman of the board saying that he would never be able to grab that brass ring on his own. And all he says to Paul Heyman is that, I'd be careful what you wish for. Because I didn't come this far to leave empty-handed. And Cesaro exits the ring, holding onto the Intercontinental title. Knowing that he is indeed the workhorse champion of SmackDown. And prepares for a main event match with Jey Uso, who at the time of this situation was recently beaten up by Roman Reigns. And... Jey Uso looks on, defeated, battered by Roman Reigns the previous Sunday. And he gets a confrontation from Roman, a brief stare down, where Roman just sort of pats him on the back. That's it. As we head to Cesaro versus Jey Uso. And in a turn of events that not many people would usually see here, maybe this is a daring booking decision, maybe it isn't. I would have, <laughs> this doesn't sound right, but really consider back in 2020 when it was Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns, the family bloodline stuff. I would have Jey Uso go over here 
and become your Intercontinental Champion. Crazy! But Jey Uso defeats Cesaro in a shock of events because Cesaro, after defending it week after week after week, gets battered by Jey Uso and a super kick and a splash in which Jey Uso holds up the Intercontinental title and Roman Reigns comes out. Roman Reigns comes out. He assaults Cesaro. As it looks like he's about to attack Jey Uso, he hugs him. He hugs him. He says that he's proud of him and that he's making the family proud. And he looks over to Jey Uso and he orders Cesaro, he orders him to attack Cesaro. Jay, he doesn't do it. He's still kind of doing his own thing. He's still independent of the orders of Roman Reigns as we head to next week. Cesaro wants a rematch for the Intercontinental title, which is very quickly requested. As Jay Uso says in his own words that he's a fighting champion. He's doing what is best for his family. So he accepts the challenge set to be the main event for the week after. Reigns is furious that he is putting his family's livelihood at risk. He tells him about his brother Jimmy, who's still out recovering, having to pay for medical bills. He talks about how his, you know, his relationship with his father, his mother, all these other things, and that he's letting them down. He's holding on to the world title to keep everybody safe. And your extra thing is an extra layer of comfort. But if you let him down, if you let your family down, expect consequences. So with that, we head to next week. Cesaro versus Jey Uso. Standard match, not the Cesaro rules. And... Roman Reigns sits at ringside with his special counsel, Paul Heyman. They watch on. And as it looks like Roman Reigns is going to interfere, he, he refuses. He just lets it play out. As Cesaro counters a splash from Jey Uso into an uppercut in midair to eventually hit the neutralizer. And regain the Intercontinental title in a very short, some might even say humiliating reign. As Roman Reigns comes in. Rather than attack Cesaro, he attacks Jey Uso. He begins pummeling him with fists and punches saying that he's let his family down. He says, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to face Ace, your family? How are you going to face Jimmy? How are you going to face Arthur and Seeker? How are you going to face Dwayne? And he grabs Jimmy by the head and he pulls him over to the camera and he says, this is for you. This is all for you. And he begins wailing on Jey Uso. He continues wailing on him again and again and again until Cesaro attempts to interject like the valiant babyface and fighting champion that he is. He breaks it up. He breaks it up and he stops it. And Roman Reigns looks over to Jey Uso, who's slowly getting to his feet, groggy, looking like he's about to walk away. And he says, Do it for your family. What would your family do? And in that moment, Cesaro, still his attention focused on Reigns, sees Jey Uso grab a chair 
and assault Cesaro. He super kicks him in the back of the head. He does all the drastic heel turn stuff he did with Daniel Bryan, but with Cesaro hitting a steel chair onto his ankle again and again and again and again. Hitting him into the steel steps. All the stuff that you could think of. Jay Uso does it for the sake of the family because they have taken his prize, but they haven't taken the family's prize, the head of the table. And in this moment, we see Jey Uso become what he becomes in that point in the story, in the narrative of WWE, the, the lapdog, the right-hand man to the tribal chief. And with it, we get to hell in a cell. It's Cesaro versus Roman Reigns, but it's not in a hell in a cell. It's not that. Because despite all of this, despite all the discomfort, we get a very special match between Jey Uso and Cesaro again. I know it's three times in a row, but I feel it's necessary for this situation because now Jey is completely under control with Roman. I don't have an issue with rematches as long as it leads to something. And in this case, because they've been so evenly matched to a piece, that whoever wins gets to decide the stipulation between Roman and Cesaro. Cesaro eventually pulls out the win. And he says to Roman, You know, throughout this entire pandemic, I've been raging wars with every style that you can think of. I've had to go the distance again, and again, and again. And I want to know if you've got in you what I've always had throughout this entire run. And he challenges Roman Reigns to a 30-minute Iron Man match at Hell in a Cell. And that, we have our very special pay-per-view match. Intercontinental Champion Cesaro facing the defending Universal Champion Roman Reigns in an Iron Man match. Roman very much staying in his God Mode status just wails on Cesaro. He very early on picks up a win with a spear for the 1, 2, 3 within the first 10 minutes. He then threw the distraction of of various other things almost gets a near fall on him again thanks to Jay Uso but within the final 10 minutes of the match Cesaro manages to weed out a neutralizer and picks up a very quick and almost very unprotected pin Onto Roman Reigns, who gets out at about three and a half, almost the Hulk Hogan style way, but manages to pick up the fall. As within the final 10 minutes, it's just pure map based wrestling. Despite Jey Uso's interference, it doesn't get in the way enough. And as it looks like Roman Reigns is about to take another neutralizer and get the one, two, three, Jey Uso distracts him just enough to the point where Cesaro collapsed, beaten battered through the weeks and weeks of matches and the injured ankle that's been sustained from Jey Uso crawls to the cover but just doesn't quite get the pin for the one, two, three in time for the time to expire and we get a one fall apiece time limit draw which is not the main event of the show it's the opening match leading to maybe down the line, a 
universal title match, maybe even a intercontinental match, a champion versus champion clash, and solidifying Cesaro as a main event star within WWE, a man who went toe to toe with WWE's top guy and scored a fall over him despite interference and new character rejuvenation as part of a Samoan bloodline. And with it, establish himself as a working and fighting champion with a title so symbolic to his character that I'm surprised he never held it in the first place. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how I'd book Cesaro. And just like that, we have reached the end of this week's episode. Quite a tough booking to do, especially with all the other things involved. I hope it was to your liking. I hope you enjoyed it. But, you know, it's the internet. It's subjective. You can think it's good. You can think it's bad. You can think it's mad. You can think whatever it is. And you can tell me that on insert your favorite social media platform where you can follow me at Twitter at Connor the Cooper. You can find me on Instagram at Wrestling With Fiction. You can even find me on TikTok at Wrestling With Fiction. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can leave a review on insert your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere and pending other platforms. I am indeed being a corporate shill right now, and I apologize, but I have to do this. (laughs) And with that, Yeah, we've reached the end of this episode, and... Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, man, I'm I'm glad I don't do a lot of rebookings, because (laughs) that was hard. And with that out of the way, I want to say thank you all so much for listening. I hope all of you have a lovely day. And remember, everyone, wrestling could always use just a little bit more fiction. See you all. Good night, everybody.